welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Let's, 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 let's jump into that. Mark chapter 1. Uh, we're finishing out Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 40, um, where we left off. We're going verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. And um, I'm in the New King James Version, uh, if you are following along. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. So, yeah, my, my, my iPad just went blank. All right, we're back. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Uh, I want to walk through this passage because uh, this is a pivotal moment in Jesus's ministry. uh, One scholar said that Mark chapter 1 basically covers an entire year of Jesus's public ministry, which he only ministered for three years publicly. So sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around that because, you know, you're just in chapter 1 and one third of his public ministry is done. Um, but it's, this is a pivotal moment. Mark is, is a writer who's really, he's not focusing so much on the teaching of Jesus as much as he is on certain pivotal moments in Jesus's ministry, especially here in chapter one. So, uh, I feel like this is one of those pivotal moments. This is a shift. Something shifted in Jesus's ministry after he heals this man who has leprosy. And so this is a, a, a huge miracle. This is a really important deal. Um, Just prior to this, the context of this passage, if you weren't here last week, just prior to this, Jesus spent some alone time with his father. And we talked about that last week, about a solitary place, making sure you have a solitary place in your life. Um, And out of that solitary place, out of prayer, Jesus said, hey, I have to go and keep on preaching because this is my purpose. My purpose is not to heal people. It's not to cast out demons, even though he's doing those things. He says, my purpose is to continue preaching. And so in verse 39, before we get to verse 40 that we read today, it says, and he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. So he's in church preaching. A synagogue is a, is a local sort of version of the temple. They, they didn't offer sacrifices there, but it was where you would go on the Sabbath to hear the word of God read to you in a local community. So everybody didn't go to Jerusalem every Sabbath day. They'd go to their local synagogue and they would hear teaching there. And that, that, that's what Jesus is doing. He's going to these, these areas where people are expecting to have the teaching from the Torah, from the Word of God, and he's bringing his kind of teaching, which is a little bit different, right? Like Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, you'll see that his teaching is a little bit different. And he's teaching with authority, right? He talks about He's teaching with authority. So he has, because he is the Word of God, when the Word of God starts sharing the Word of God, there's real authority there. And he understands that this is his purpose. So that's, that's important to the context of this miracle because this miracle is going to change the direction of his purpose. His purpose is to teach, and he is teaching in the synagogue. But after this miracle, he's not going to be able to openly enter into synagogues because people are going to be so crazed about his miracle working power that they're going to basically swamp him. And so he has to stay out in the, the, the desert, the desert area. And I'm just saying that some miracles are very costly. Some miracles are very costly. But I want to focus on this this phrase right here in verse 41. It says that Jesus was moved 
with compassion. That's a, that's a word that is used actually 12 times in the Gospels, all speaking about Jesus and or uh, a parable where Jesus is sharing about his father. And so I love this phrase because like I was, I, was, I was talking to Ro about this. And this is the kind of thing that if you were there personally, you would not have known. So actually, as, as a reader, we're getting more revelation on the moment than people who were physically there. Because you actually don't know people's motivation when they do things. You don't know why I'm preaching right now. I can tell you why, but that may not be the real motivation. Oftentimes, we don't even know our own motivation for why we're doing what we're doing, right? Like, why did I say that? Why, did, why do I like that? And, and, yet, and yet now we have the Holy Spirit who's giving Mark revelation on the motivation of Jesus. So I love that. Like you could actually be in the room and see him heal this guy. And if you're a Pharisee, you're probably thinking, oh, it's because he wants to become famous. He's trying to become famous. That's why he's doing what he's doing. If you're a scribe, you might say, well, it's because he's, he's controlled by demons. And so those demons are, are trying to do things to gain influence because they didn't know his motivation. But you and I, because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can see that Mark told us that actually his motivation was mercy. And so I want to talk to you today about a God who is moved by mercy. A God who is motivated by mercy. A God who is, who is driven, who is pulled, who is, who is driven by compassion. And this same God obviously sent his only begotten son into the world because of love. And that same compassion, I don't know what, what Jesus you grew up hearing about, but this Jesus is moved by compassion, by mercy. He's not moved by, by a sense to make sure that you get it right. He's not moved by a sense to make sure that you understand the correct theology. His, his motivation, so many times, is a motivation of mercy. He's pulled by it. He's driven by it. It's what's inside of him pushing him to do what he's doing. It is mercy. Anybody ever encountered the mercy of Jesus? You can know that he's been, man, it, it, it wasn't anything else that motivated him to reach out to me except mercy. I first encountered this when I was seven years old and I had made a decision for Jesus right when I was six because I, I saw um, they came to our church this group that did heaven's gates and hell's flames you guys ever you, did you ever see that play back in the 80s were you, any of you alive in the 80s well, anyway heaven's gates and hell's flames come on somebody yeah you know Carolyn knows about that it's like they come and uh, they would do this 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 play and I, I think I was in the play one of the nights I forget I was like one of the little angels or something and so it was like it was like uh, if you if you if you uh, if you go to church and read your Bible and and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then when you die, oh, you go to heaven and there's these angels and it's really great. Uh, however, if you do drugs and you cuss and you drive while and you while you're drinking, then you die and then you go to hell and it's really scary and there's these demons they're dragging, people are screaming, it's terrifying, right? I'm six years old, I'm watching that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I do not want to go to hell. Like, holy cow, I don't want to go to hell. And so, you know, you like, I got saved like every night that night. I mean, every night. I'm like, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. I really, really don't want to go to hell. And all you have to do is pray this prayer, but maybe I didn't quite pray it right last night, so I need to make sure. I mean, you know, and, 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 and I know some people make fun of that. I'm not, I'm really not making fun of that. Like, I was talking to a group of pastors a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, man, like, I, I, I think some of those salvations are legit. Because hell is real. It's not a, it's not a joke. It's not, it's not something to, that's only in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, right? Like, <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a real thing. Like, and it's serious. And you ought to be afraid. You ought to be scared to death of it. I mean, it ought to be, like, terrify us if we actually think about it. So I think it's okay, you know, to be, to be scared and to be like, all right, I do not want to go there. But, you know, that was, if that's the extent of your journey... Like, it's fine if that's the first step, but if that's like where it ends, and you have not encountered the merciful Savior, the Savior that is motivated by mercy, not by judgment, not by threats, the Savior who is driven by compassion, 
And so it was a year later, I was seven years old, and we were uh, in a prayer meeting, and um, I was really shy, and, and I've always been kind of small, and so there was this A-frame sign. I don't even remember what the sign said. It was down near the front of the church, a little A-frame wooden sign, and I, I crawled in between the A-frame, right, and I, and I, I just kind of squatted down. I mean, I was like, you know, all up, like just kind of balled up, and I thought, okay, I'll pray here because nobody can see me, you know, so I'm down there, and I'm praying, and I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> I was so spiritual that I, you know, I was just I was so spiritual at the time that I, I, I fell asleep and, uh, and I'm sleeping and I, and I have this vision like Jesus appears to me and all of a sudden Jesus is standing in front of me. I know it's Jesus because he's got the white robe and the blue sash and all that and he's standing in front of me and at the time I was, I was seven years old and at the time this is 1987, right? And so I was a big fan of Karate Kid. Anybody remember karate? You know, the whole karate. And so I was, like, I, was, I was all about it. And so I was taking karate lessons. Mom and dad paid for my brother and I to take karate lessons. And so I was learning in karate that, uh, you know, when, when, whenever you're getting ready to fight somebody, you, you come up to the mat like this and then you acknowledge them. You do this little bow thingy and I forget how it went. And then, and then you get set and you... And, and you get ready to go to town, right? And and but then they were telling us they were telling us that if you that if you go to the mat and you see somebody on the other side for whatever reason you don't want to fight them, there's this particular hand signal. And I'm sure Scott knows it much more than I don't quite remember. It had something to do with like one hand up and like one palm up or something like that. There's this hand signal you do that says I don't want to fight with you, so we're not going to have this not going to have this match. And so I had this vision of Jesus and Jesus is standing there and he and he does the he does the the karate hand signal which i remembered at the time and i do not remember now but he does the karate hand signal basically saying i do not want to fight with you and i was like man that that just just wrecked me i was bawling i wake up bawling you know because it wasn't just a god who was threatening to send me to hell here's a god who sees me and at, at seven years old I was always right I've changed a little bit I was always right <laughs> matured I was always and I was I was I was incredibly prideful I was incredibly self-absorbed I was I was I've always just had a, a, a very sharp tongue a quick ability to fire back that's not good. I've always had a sense of people's buttons. I don't know. I just look at people and I can just see what's going and I know what to push. And so I, mean, I can make like little other seven-year-olds cry so easily without touching them, you know, because I would just totally boom, 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 just rip them from one end to the other and not use any cuss words because I was just that good. And, 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 I, it, and, and, and Jesus came to me. And Jesus knows all of that. And Jesus sees, and I, that's just at seven years old. There was other stuff in my heart I didn't know was there. There was all kinds of stuff. And Jesus comes to me and he says, Harry, I don't want to fight with you. I want to be at peace with you. Maybe I even want to walk with you. Maybe I even want to be your friend. <laughs> Maybe I even want to partner with you. Maybe I even have a plan for you. Maybe the quick tongue, there's a purpose to it. You're not using it the right way right now, but, but you'll be able. Like, like, and so I saw a God who was motivated by mercy, and he's, and he's driven by mercy. And he pushes his church. His church is driven by mercy. It's mercy that causes people to set aside a whole week and go to Puerto Rico. And, you know, work on eight homes and take all of their couches out. And, and, and let me tell you, as somebody who's been through a flood, I can tell you it, it means the world when people come in like uh, uh, you all did. And Pastor Rocky came in and the bakers and different people and folks from City Chapel came in and, and got our mattresses out and got our couches out and got everything out and cut three feet above the sheetrock, above where the water line was and, and put bleach and all the, all the studs. I mean, it's a full-on deal and it means a lot so God is motivated by mercy man that's awesome I mean I don't I, I, I don't know I see the church and I see the church doing this day in and day out and I see the mercy of Jesus going into all the world and I see a testimony of Christ I mean John how many how many atheists did you meet that had flown in taken a week off of their vacation and flown in to help in Puerto Rico. How many, how many atheists did you come across that were 
serving and Yeah, that's what I thought. That's exactly what I thought. But they were sending good vibes on Twitter. They were sending good vibes on Twitter, and they're ready to debate, and they're ready. So, so, so basically, next time you're walking downtown Austin and somebody says Christians are just homophobic and they want your money and they just are judgmental, why don't you just tell them about this little trip? Tell them about the little trip. Ask them what they were doing when hurricanes hit. Ask them. The number one relief organization in the world is the church. It is. Not, 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 even, not even joking, not even, by, not even by a little bit. It is Christians that are motivated by mercy. Yeah, yeah, the government is trying to decide if they're going to help us or not. Yeah, that's exactly what we encountered in Katrina. I was in Katrina multiple times a week for the six months after, after I was in New Orleans for the multiple times a week, six months after Katrina, starting three days after Katrina hit, as soon as the government allowed us in. And yeah, that's exactly what we encountered. The government's trying to decide if they're going to help us or not. And then when the government did help, the money went <laughs> to the people who were in power and, and, and the church was on the ground. And the church was in people's homes, and the church was praying for people, and the church was cleaning things out. And so that's no, that's no dis, dis, disrespect to the government. But I'm just saying, if your faith and hope is in this next election, you got the wrong thing. The church is the mission of mercy. It's not, it's not the president's job. He, that's not his role. It's not the Congress. It's not the, the Senate. Like that's not what they're hired to do. That's not what people, their big donors are paying. They're not paying them to go to Puerto Rico and help the poor and the unfortunate. They're not going to get enough votes for that. We're not interested in votes. We are interested in mercy. We're motivated by people who are hurting and who are lost. And it is our job. And it is our role. I was talking to my, 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 my barber, you know, my, my, my barber here, he's, I, I guess because I, I dress a certain way, he didn't, he never knew I was a pastor and I didn't have the, I didn't have the, I didn't have the guts to tell him because I was, I didn't want to make him feel bad because the stuff he was telling me that he's doing on the weekend was not exactly pastor approved stuff, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, you know, and so I tried to, I tried to get a little word in here, a little word in there, but I knew as soon as I told him I'm a pastor, it's just like he's going to freak out, you know, and give me a bad haircut. So I didn't want to do that. And, and so, and so finally the other day, finally the other day, he asked me what I was, what I was doing, you know, and I was like, well, yeah, I'm always honest with people. And uh, I said, well, yes, I'm a pastor. And he's like, you're a pastor. What kind of church you got? I said, well, I don't know. We're just, we're just, we, we just believe in the Bible. We believe in Jesus. We love to follow him. We love to help people. And he's like, yeah, you know, and so, so he's, so he, he's talking about, it. he's like, man, you know, people tell me all the time churches shouldn't have 501c3 exemption, but I tell them, man, they're doing good, doing a lot better good than some of these other clubs and stuff. And like, we should just let them in. And so I was like, okay, all right. He's sort of trying to be on my side. I don't know. But there's this perception, and that perception is not true. It's perpetuated by lies because our founder, Jesus, was motivated by mercy. We are motivated by mercy. The biggest offerings we've ever taken up are offerings that aren't going to go to a pastor or some kind of building a jumbo jet for us to fly around. It's for people to build homes in, in, in Uganda. It's, it's for mercy, mercy projects. And so you guys are motivated by mercy. You understand uh, Jesus, who is motivated. If you're new to City Chapel, welcome in. This is what we believe. We believe that God is moved by mercy. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you. It, within this story, what this story helps me understand about God's mercy. First off, it helps me understand the object of his mercy. And uh, Danielle was talking about that, about not feeling worthy. The object of his mercy is so many, and I'm so glad that she was uh, bold enough to say that because so many of us feel that exact same way. We just don't get up and say it, but we feel unworthy of his mercy. And even though we claim to receive it, we still go around feeling this sense of unworthiness. But when you look at the story, man, the, 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 the mercy, the object of his mercy is extended to a leper. And leprosy is still around today. It's called uh, Hansen's disease. 
uh, back in the day, it was uncurable. It, it, it creates sores and uh, scabs and sores on your, on your skin, and then those sores, they, they deepen. They go deeper. They stay open. They do not heal. They continue to, to, to like burn deeper at deeper levels of the skin, eating away at the, at the nerve at the nerves within, within the, the, the upper level, but then the lower levels. And so many, many lepers, many people who have leprosy, they end up losing limbs. They end up losing different parts of their body because what happens is you lose feeling. You, the, 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 the disease begins eating away the nerve endings, say, in your fingers and in your hands. And so, and so you literally can't feel anything. You can't feel anything when a dog bites your finger. You can't, feel any, you can't feel scolding hot water when you reach in to, to grab water to wash your face. You, you don't feel it. And so what, what happens is this is, a, this is a pervasive, nasty disease. It's the kind of disease that, 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 that just takes over your entire body. It takes over your entire body, not just physically, but back, especially back in the day, and really in third world countries today, but back in the day, this would take over your entire life socially and relationally. Because with leprosy, leprosy was very contagious. They didn't have any way of stopping the contagion. They didn't understand enough about it. And so, and so they, they, they merely removed people who had leprosy from the community. And this is actually prescribed in Leviticus 13. You know, Leviticus 13 deals with leprosy and how you should, how you should deal with people who have leprosy for the sake of the community. Because the entire community could get leprosy. And so God knows this. And so God's rule, and I'll just summarize it for you in, in, in Leviticus 13, is you have to kick them out. You have to remove them. They have to live outside of the camp. This is, a, this is the kind of diagnosis that uh, this man apparently would have had a home of some sort at some point. This man probably would have had a wife and children at some, of some sort at some point. He usually wasn't born with leprosy, so you contracted at some point. And the day he got the diagnosis was the day he got a divorce. The day he got the diagnosis was the day he knew he would never be able to touch his kids again. This is the kind of diagnosis. This is separation. You had to stay uh, six to eight feet away from everybody. And that's if you were upwind, if you were down, if people were downwind of you, because they felt like the wind could carry the disease, they had to be, I think it was 100 cubits, which is like 150 feet away. It's a significant uh, relational effect. Can you imagine the kind of rejection when, 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 when people cannot touch you, when people can't even be within six feet of you? When you have to go live outside the camp, outside of the camp is a very vulnerable place back in the day. They, 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 didn't, they didn't build nice homes out there. They didn't build homes at all. You're living in tents and you're open to raiders and to robbers and to all kinds of, because you're outside the gate. When they close the gate at night, you're on the outside. And, and even uh, Leviticus 13.45, at the end of Leviticus 13, it says anyone with such a defiling disease Defiling means that it's, it, it makes you ceremonially unclean. Because God was drawing a parallel between leprosy and sin. Did you see that? He was drawing a parallel. And so as long as you had leprosy, you were unclean or you were unworthy to come before God. You could not go to the temple. You could not make sacrifices for yourself. You were unclean. And anything you touched became unclean. If you put your hand on the pulpit, the pulpit is now unclean. If you touch the door handle, the door handle is now unclean. And anyone who touches the door handle is also unclean. And what God is doing is he's showing the absolute horrific effects of sin. That it is a terrible disease. And, and so he says anyone with this defiling disease must wear torn clothes. So, so you can't, you can't dress up nice. You can never present yourself well. You must always have torn clothes, must let their hair be unkempt and cover the lower part of their face. That's a, that's, that's a face mask. That's what that is. <laughs> we, we know a little bit about that, but seriously, because, because you cover the lower part, lower part of your face so that germs don't go this way. All right. And, and must cry out. Unclean, unclean. 
So everywhere he goes, if he walks down the street, he has, everybody knows they have to stay six to eight feet away from him. He has to be wearing torn clothes, have his hair unkempt. He has to look, you know, as awful as he is. And he has to call out, unclean, unclean, don't get near me. Right, if you're at your kid's flag football game, we had that yesterday, like one side of the field, the parents will sit over here, this guy will be on this side of the field. And anybody who comes to that side, he has to say, unclean, unclean. He has to make sure, like, he's constantly announcing his problem. He's constantly having to announce his disease. Why? Because it's dangerous. And it truly was for a community back in the day when there's no cure of leprosy. This is the problem. You don't want to spread it throughout a community. And so this is, this is where he is. And this is the object of Jesus' mercy. This is the kind of guy that most people aren't even going to want to look at. Definitely don't want to smell. Because the festering sores and the dead flesh, it's not going to smell good. And the lack of bathing... It's not going to smell good. This is the guy that Jesus stops preaching for. <laughs> Interrupts his preaching because there's a person in the back who is a leper who has a great, great need. This is a guy who is separated, who's removed, who is rejected. So that's the object of his mercy. But now I want to talk to you about the obstacle to his mercy. When I, was, when I was studying this, I always like to try to understand in my mind just what's happening in the story and just place myself within the story and, 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 and read it from that way. And it's interesting because um, in Mark's account, you see that Jesus is in the synagogues and he's preaching. And then you have this story of this man who has leprosy and he comes to him. But it doesn't say where Jesus is when the man with leprosy comes to him. And so I was reading, well, is he in the synagogue? Is he allowed in the synagogue? Right? Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he, and turns out he is. Turns out there are different rabbis from that time that, that talked about the, wrote about the rules of, of leprosy. And they were not allowed in the temple or on the temple mount, but they were allowed within the local synagogue. They were also allowed within a house. Jesus may have been in a house. It's pretty unlikely because uh, one rabbi named Judah said that uh, uh, lepers are allowed in a house for a certain length of time. They didn't have like seconds and minutes to go by. So, so he said, as long as it takes you to light a candle, that's how long a leper is allowed in a house. So not long. And I, th I, I just feel like Jesus's sermons were at least a few hours long. That's my personal belief based on nothing. So um, he couldn't, uh, I don't think he was in a house because it wouldn't, he can only, basically, basically he can step in. They like five second rule, right? He can step in, he can see the new sofa of his family or whatever, and then he can walk out. That's kind of the amount of connection that he can have. But in the, in the, in the uh, synagogue, he was allowed in the synagogue as long as he stayed in the back and as long as he had a partition. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, those of us post-COVID, we understand this a little bit better. I'm like, oh yeah, we know all about that. You're trying to talk to the person on the other side, they can't hear you because they're muffled like this and they got the partition like that. Yeah, like, we know all about it. But no, this is, back in the day, they wouldn't have had plexiglass, right? So they just, they just have this partition. So now, now, now he could be outside in the open air. Jesus could have been teaching I don't know, um, on a street corner or something. And, and he would be allowed as long as people stay six to eight feet away, if they're, if they're upwind or downwind, if that, that whole deal, then he would be allowed to be out there among the, the teaching, right? But I kind of like to think that Jesus is in the synagogue because of verse 39. It says that he was in their synagogues and then it immediately tells this story. So I feel like he's actually in a synagogue. And so I feel like he is, he's in the back and he's behind a partition. And I just think that's, that's fascinating to me. And so, actually, this, this over here might actually be a good idea. Because um, I'm, I'm just wanting to demonstrate. We've got a little table over here. Are you guys having a staff meeting? We're going to have a... <laughs> Dave, could, could, could you grab one side? So this is, our, this, is our, this is our top. This is the top that goes to our um, baptism. 
Um, so if you're thirsty, uh, at the end of service, you get a little cup. And get some. So Dave, could you take it up on the stage with me so folks can see it? I don't think people online can, can see me very well. So let's just, let's just pretend that this is, um, that this is the partition. Because it's got little handles on the back. Yeah, that's perfect. It's wooden. I think this would be a pretty good partition. Dave, how about you be the leper? Yeah. Your hair's not unkempt, but it's all good. Your clothes aren't torn, but just, just, just grab the handles so that it doesn't fall over on me. And you, you, you no, you just, you, just get, you just get behind it. There you go. There you go. So, so partition, leper back there. Awesome. I, I, I just, I don't know. In, in my mind, this, this, is, this, this is kind of the vision that I could see. That, that the, the obstacle, because remember, like in the story, it's, uh, it says that the man was bowing down before Jesus. And he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean, right? And then it says that Jesus touched him first, before he did anything else. Before he healed him. Before he spoke healing to him, he, he touched him. And so I, I was thinking about that, well, how would that work? Actually, man, how in the world would that work that's all you stay right there. You can't be like, bro, you're, like you got leprosy. What are you popping your head up for? You're going you're gonna to speak. Leprosy is going to come over the, the way over here. That's, this is how it was. That's how it was. Like you don't poke your head up. You don't show yourself. And while I think this passage is certainly not an allegory, and I don't want to turn it into an allegory. It's not an allegory. It's a real story that really happened. But I think it's recorded for our learning because it's a beautiful picture of the motivation of Jesus, of our Savior. He is motivated by mercy. But it's also a pretty accurate description of us. Because we rarely poke our heads up over our partitions. You know what I mean? Like we come to church and we get behind our partitions and this is what you can see of me. This is what I'll allow you to see of me. I'm not going to poke my head up because I'm too ugly. I'm too diseased. I'm too, I, you might catch what I got. I'm not going to, no, no, I'm, I'm going to be behind my partition. I'll come to church. I'll sit there. But can you imagine this guy never saw the preacher? Like it's so weird for modern church because we got cameras and we're zooming in and I'm up here, I'm kind of short, so I'm on a two-foot stage, you know, so everybody can see me. Because the idea is like you got to have eye contact because that's connection. This guy's robbed of all connections. Nobody's touched him in years, decades. I heard of one guy who, who he was so lonely, he went and got haircuts every week just so somebody would touch him. The value of a touch, a human touch, we we're hugging as people are coming in because it's so important, man. It's so important. And some of us in COVID, we kind of started to sense that. Like there's this disconnect that's happening when you don't touch people. And this guy's not allowed to touch people. And in church, he's not allowed to show his real face. He has to hide behind his partition. He has to hide behind. This is what makes him worthy. This is what makes him acceptable. As long as he stays behind this, we'll let him in. As long as he stays behind this, we'll go ahead and preach to him. As long as he stays behind this. But don't poke your head. Don't show me who you are. <laughs> and I know back in the day, they probably had something wooden kind of like this. Nowadays, we got flashier partitions. We got, we got, we got, we got, we got nicer partitions, man. We got social media. We'll hold that thing up and we'll make sure the camera's just right and the angle's just right. People will be still married on social media, separated for years, but it looks like, but we hold up this thing up because this is what I want you to see. Look how good my life is. Look how great it is. Look at this great vacation I just had. Never mind the turmoil in the bedroom, but look at this great look. And we hold it up because if you can see this, okay, fine. I think you'll accept me, but you don't really want to see me and some of us Christians we hold up our our knowledge of of the Bible and we we know five things really well and we'll argue about those five things and 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 as long as you know that about me then I'm then I'll be acceptable but I'm not ready to show you who I am I mean we have all kinds of partitions all kinds of ways in which we are carried maybe not here, but you drive, you know, 45 minutes that way and there'll be a lot of wealth that'll be the partition and look at my driveway and look at my, look at my Tesla and look at it because, because we, because we hide behind it. All right, Barnes, I got two Teslas over there. 
It's the plaid. It's the plaid one. The plaid one is the one I was talking about. The plaid. The Tesla plaid. Not the one you got. This. It's a. <laughs> no, no, no. No, or maybe it's a Dodge Viper that we hide behind. I know some people that hide behind that. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. But we hide behind our stuff because our stuff makes us valuable. We think our stuff makes us acceptable. And so the, 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 the object of Jesus' mercy is us. It's us. He loves us. But the obstacle to his mercy is our partitions. And so as long as you're still good over there, you're still all right? You're not cramping or anything? All right. So... <laughs> Spider, squish it. It's a, it's a sanctified spider. It's been baptized. It's all good. Yeah, take it out. Protect me. All right. <laughs> okay, so now, so, so, so we've had the object of mercy. We've had the obstacle of mercy. Let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's go, go, go back to Mark chapter 1, um, if you would, when it says he's moved with compassion. This is, this is interesting because some of you in your Bible, um, you would say uh, he's, Jesus was moved with compassion, but other Bibles will say he's moved with indignation. Did anybody have indignation in their Bible? You're dead, indignation. That's interesting, right? So if you have the new NIV, the one published after 2010, it says indignation. If you have the old NIV, the one done in 1986, it says compassion. I'm reading from the New King James Version, which says compassion. King James also says compassion. It's because the word compassion and indignation, they're two very different words, right? Two, two very, very different. One is anger. <laughs> indignation is anger. It's outrage. And the other is compassion. It's, it's, it's mercy. It's, 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 a, it's a graciousness. So, what, so what's going on here? Well, let me tell you, the, that word is what's called a variant. So in the original, so full disclaimer, we do not have the original documents of the New Testament or the Old Testament. We don't have the original letters that were written. We don't have Mark's original letter. Nobody does because it was, it was written on papyrus paper, right? And that stuff dies. It just withers away. And so they had to make copies of it. And so the church in Rome made copies and made copies and made copies and they distributed them. And those copies went out throughout the known uh, Christian world. And there were four major uh, regions that had major copies of the New Testament. And back when old King Jimmy wanted to put together the King James, he gathered together all of the, the oldest documents that they could find. He had like 21 or 25 scholars. They got all the oldest documents that they could find and they tried to figure out what it said. Well, guess what? There were some variants. In other words, some manuscripts said the word compassion. Other manuscripts used the word indignation. And so they, 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 they have a way of kind of deciphering this. There were, I think, 2,000 variants. Uh, usually it was like the word the was there and it wasn't there and this other one. It was pretty insignificant. The and maybe a comma or something was missing. They were kind of insignificant, but some of these are kind of big right like now just just for just for a reminder this doesn't change who Jesus is it just affects how we are to understand this passage because because who Jesus is he is full of compassion like i said 11 other times in the new new testament it talks about that but he is also at times full of indignation he gets mad right jesus gets mad he gets ticked off and it's in its righteous indignation, like he walks into the temple one time and he's, they're selling, he starts turning over tables and, stuff, and literally hitting people with whips. He gets mad and it's all good. So this doesn't change who Jesus is, but it does affect how we are to view what's happening here. And I chose to title the title the message, Motivated by Mercy. Obviously, I'm talking about compassion. But at the same time, because that's what the Textus Receptus uses, the word compassion. But at the same time, obviously, in the past few years, there's been enough uh, textual evidence where some scholars are leaning more toward the indignation side of things. And so my point is, that's kind of a long way of getting to my point. My point is that mercy can get mad. So I'm not sure. 
personally, if this is compassion or indignation. I really don't think it matters very much. I think mercy can get mad. I think that there is the, the object of his mercy, there is the obstacle to his mercy, but there is also a bit of outrage to his mercy. Now, I don't believe he's mad at the guy. <laughs> because otherwise he probably would have kicked him out. It'd just been like, what are you doing? No, he reaches and he touches the guy. I feel like he's mad, and I'm not really sure what he's mad at, honestly. He could be mad at the social structure that has caused this guy to hide behind this thing all of his life. Right? He could be mad at the... And, and even though this is part of the law of Moses that God commanded, it wasn't God's plan. The law of Moses was not God's plan. He did not intend for us to have to kill animals to come before him. <laughs> he didn't intend to have to have a priestly line in order to, enter, to be an intermediate. We we're supposed to walk in the garden with him. And so, and so the, the very best part of the law of Moses, the part that was prophetic about who Jesus would be, even that part, it wasn't supposed to be there. And so, and, 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 and so, so he could just be mad at the, at the entire structure, which this is the lowest part of the, of the, of the law of Moses, the part that's dealing with the, with the necessary evils of living in a sinful world. And so it very, could, very well could be that, God, that Jesus is just mad at the system. He's preaching in the system, but he's ticked off by the system because this system is holding people back from knowing God. The system is holding people back from healing. The system is holding people back. So he could be mad at the system. He could also be mad at the disease, absolutely. The disease that has robbed this man of, of his relationships, that has robbed him of his very livelihood, of his life. Sometimes I think God is mad for us, not at us. <laughs> I think he's mad for us. Because we, we, we may not have leprosy, but we, but we may have insecurity. And sometimes he's mad for us. He's mad that that has stolen so much from us. He's angry that that has removed us and separated us and felt, made us to feel rejected. Right? And so sometimes I think he gets mad for us. And, and you might do good to get mad for people every once in a while too. You might do good to get mad for things that are important. Like, 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 because if, if you're never angry, I don't know if you're actually feeling things. I don't know if you're alive, if you're awake. Because when, when, when you are truly filled with mercy and compassion, there will be a resulting anger at that thing that is blocking that compassion. And so I think he might be mad for him, but he also might be mad at the partition. He also might be mad at the fact that here's a guy who's kneeling down before him and he can't even have the, the little bit of connection of making eye contact with him. That here's this voice coming out from behind this wall. And I think he just got mad at this block, blocker, at this partition that is blocking off this man from Jesus. He could be angry, too, at the fact that he knows that when he heals this man, this man's not going to do what he tells him to do, and it's going to seriously mess up his ministry. And he might be feeling that same angst of, this is going to cost me, but I am moved with compassion. The same angst that his father felt when he sent his only begotten son, this is going to cost me but I am moved. I so love the world. He could also be mad at the fact that the man's question. Notice the man didn't say, are you able to heal me? The man said, do you want to? <laughs> Is it in your heart to? Do, would you care to? And I think this grieves the heart of God. When we, maybe we come to church, we acknowledge his power, but we question his motives. Do you want to heal me? Do you want to save me? Do you want to cleanse me? Do you want to make me whole? 
I don't know, but maybe that might have stirred up a thing. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> like I just see, I don't know, I just see Jesus just throwing this, this partition out of the way. I just see him just chucking it. I'm not going to chuck it because who knows what we'd break. But, but I just see him just, just, just throwing the partition out of the way. And it says he touched him. <laughs> he says, do I what? Do I want? <laughs> like, let me show you. Your, your skin problem doesn't affect me. You don't scare me. I am not afraid of touching you. While you have leprosy, right on the sore, I'll put my hand right there where that's on the thing that's been eating you up. <laughs> he got a little, <laughs> a little outrage. And he says, let me show you my heart. Before I tell you my heart, let me show you. And then I'll tell you, and then I'll heal you. Notice the... Notice the path. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. Before he said anything, he said, man, you've been, you've been lonely for too long. You've been rejected for too long. Let me touch you. We don't know how long he stood there and hugged him. <laughs> Before he said, uh, yeah, I am willing. And I feel like God wants to show each and every one of us. Not just tell us. What I'm doing right now is telling you. <laughs> but the presence of Jesus can actually touch you. And he can show you. With that embrace, with that touch, with that grabbing of you in your sinful state before you get cleaned up, before you get presentable, before you still got the ragged clothes, your hair is still jacked up, you still got the, the sores, you're still broken. And this is where God says, okay, let me hug you like that. And I just imagine there he is in the synagogue, Jesus becoming unclean for us so that we might become clean. <laughs> and it didn't affect him. This is a picture of the cross. Thanks, Dave. Uh, you, yeah, you can, you can go. This is the picture of the cross, that he would remove the barrier that stood between us and him, and that he would take our shame and take our sin on his body and nail it to the cross. And it wouldn't affect him. It wouldn't change who he is. But it would forever change who we are. I don't have time to get into it. But at the end of this passage. Jesus tells him. Go show yourself to the priest. It's interesting. Jesus said don't, don't tell anybody. Show them. Don't tell, show. Just like I showed you, go show them. You don't have to, you don't have to talk about it if you live it. Now that's not to say that we shouldn't tell people, I, I think we should, but it's interesting. Jesus says, don't, don't tell anybody, go show people. And he says, according to the law of Moses and offer the sacrifices. Now that is Leviticus 14, and I don't have time to read that. But you might want to go home and read that. It's an incredible ceremony that Jesus is telling the man to participate in. It's actually a ceremony whereby he's welcomed back into the community. Where he stands before the temple, like in the middle of town, and the priest has to shave the guy's head and, and his eyebrows and all the hair and, his, and then he, he gets some blood and he puts it on his right earlobe and puts it on his right thumb and puts it on his right big toe which sounds really weird who would ever do that well one other time in scripture that was done and it was when Aaron was being anointed to be the priest the high priest of God here's a guy who's been living outside the village who is now anointed for ministry the same way that Aaron was there's a lot of other you know Jesus symbolism there too 
But I mean, there's, it's a whole profession. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a whole procession. It's a big deal. It's a party that the entire community is invited. And a guy who hasn't been touched in decades is the object of celebration. The object of mercy becomes the object of celebration. This is what Jesus was prescribing to him. It wasn't just that Jesus didn't want word to get out. No, he wanted this guy to have the reception that he was supposed to have. To have the reunification from rejection to reunification that he was supposed to have. And I believe that Jesus wants that for each and every one of us. He doesn't just want to heal you and you skulk off and, all right, I'm saved now. No, man. He wants to heal every aspect of your life. He wants to bring you back. And so, man, let's go to him in prayer right now. I just feel, yeah, if you can take that and just sit off to the side. I just sense the Holy Spirit speaking to us. If you're here today and you, uh, you want to receive the mercy of Jesus, Maybe for the first time, I don't know, but you want to receive his mercy to cleanse you, to heal whatever is wrong in your heart. Would you just raise your hand with me and say, that's me, I feel like God is pulling me to receive his mercy, to call on him. That's awesome. And so those of you that have your hands up, I would challenge you, <laughs> what barriers have you put up to block him? You might want to lay those aside. Jesus, we do that even right now by raising our hands. We're basically getting a little bit, we're poking our head up. Because someone might be looking, I don't know. We were poking our head up and we're saying we need you. Lord, would you bring greater revelation around the barriers that we have set up to protect ourselves, but that are blocking you. We become vulnerable before you, Lord. We need you. Thank you for your word that says, if we confess our sins, if we come into agreement with you, that you will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We receive that right now because of the great mercy of our Father, of his Son, and of the Spirit that he has sent to testify about him. We receive the mercy of Jesus. And Lord, may we be motivated by this same mercy. From Puerto Rico to, I don't know, Puerto Aransas. May we be motivated by your mercy to those around us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah. All right. You can be dismissed. Thanks for joining us today. Have a good day. If you're a guy, teenage guy, adult guy, welcome. You're welcome to come with us tonight. Otherwise, have a great week. See ya.